This is a Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand podcast. Welcome back to Yokogawa Debunks, conversations with industry experts to uncover the truth behind myths and misconceptions surrounding the industrial automation and industrial instrumentation space. I'm your host, Sean Carhill, and I would like to start by acknowledging and paying our respects to the traditional custodians of this land, to the elders past, present and emerging, on whose country this recording is taking place. Now today we'd like to welcome Mike Wallace, Manager for Process Analyzer Solutions at Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand. Mike has extensive experience in the design, installation and service of Process Analyzer Solutions for some of the largest and most complex applications in the region. So without further ado, welcome Mike. Thank you, Sean. It's good to be here. Uh, today, Mike, we're going to address some of the misconceptions people have around continuous emissions monitoring systems, or SEMS for short. Maybe the best way to start off with is, Mike, if you could provide us with a, a quick explanation of what a SEMS system is and what it does. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. As you said, it's a continuous emissions monitoring system. So what it does is it continually monitors uh, the typically stack gas emissions that come from combustion processes. Uh, there are other kinds of SEMs, but the ones that Yokogawa are particularly um, involved with are ones that measure gases. So what we're talking about is a system that measures exhaust gases from an industrial process. Mike, that's, that's really put it into a, in, into a nutshell very, very well. Now, one of the things that we do find, and it's probably the number one misconception that we see, is that um, people seem to have this impression that uh, SEM systems are high maintenance and uh, we'd like to hear your view as to whether you think there's any truth in that. Uh, well, thanks, Sean. Uh, it depends on the application and the design of the system. A well-designed and well-documented SEMS with good startup and good shutdown procedures, that'll often require much less maintenance. Now, the cause of high maintenance in many SEMS applications, it's either due to poor design or, in some cases, inadequate operation. Would you like to explore an example in a little bit more detail? Uh, well, please, if you could go into, uh, into a little more detail on that, would be great. Sure, okay. Let's take a process which is combusting a solid or a slightly dirty fuel. This is a very common thing to encounter where continuous emission monitoring systems will be required. Now, it could be something like a, a process gas burner, a coal-fired power plant, uh, maybe a waste to energy generator, or perhaps an incinerator. The point is that the flue gas is probably going to be hot, it's going to be saturated with moisture, and it's also likely to contain some corrosives and particulates. Now, the corrosives could be things like sulfur dioxide, sulfur trioxide, or hydrogen sulfide. Those are fairly common ones. When those sulfur components are kept dry, they're easy to deal with. But if they get into a liquid state, if they get wet, if they get mixed up with some condensation, then they can become really corrosive and very aggressive. They can also form plaques or scales, which can build up. So if the SEMS is not properly heated up before the process is introduced to it, condensation may occur and then you've got the start of a problem and that problem will apply whether it's an in-situ device that's making the measurement or whether it's an extractive type so it needs to be carefully thought through how the process starts up how the SEMS will be protected during the low temperature fuel rich startup whether it gets full of water if the process shuts down or what the impact of a power outage might be so it's quite clear there's many variables that really could impact the maintainability of the SEMS system well, Sean, there's an old saying that 80% of solving a problem is knowing what the problem is. So if the work's done at the front end, if we get adequate information gathering and the design is well thought through, 
and then very importantly followed up with a good level of operator training and maintenance technician training, then it'll have a longer, happier life than if it's just sort of dumped in and the customer's left to their own devices to try and make it work and maintain it. Okay, so it's clear that work needs to be done up front. That actually leads me into another misconception that we've, uh, that we've come across in relation to SEMS, and that they are typical pre-made boxes. Uh, you can even buy them online, perhaps, and they don't even require engineering. You know, so continuing on for your example, yeah, how do you see that? Well, I've been around the process industries for quite a long time now. Uh, it's actually knocking on towards 40 years. And what I've realized is that each process is in some ways unique. So even though the basic design of the SEMS might have some common elements, the ability to tailor the design to suit each particular site's requirement equates to benefits. A few examples. Some plants may have extreme environmental conditions. That can be in terms of temperature, wind loading, rainfall. Fuels, for example, can differ. Black coal, brown coal, natural gas, processed byproduct fuel gas, just for example. They all have different levels of sulfurs, different combustion methods, produce different combustion conditions and different outcomes in terms of what's going to be in the exhaust. Processes also vary. Reformer plants, for example, may use different technologies have different purposes depending what they're used for and therefore have different exhaust gas compositions. Similar can be said of gasification plants and other large-scale combustion processes. So those differences and their outputs will affect the carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, oxides of sulphur, nitric oxide levels as well as moisture, unburnt fuel levels and temperatures. All of that will affect what needs to be measured. It will also affect how we're going to go about getting those measurements. So again, as you said, there's a lot of variables. And on top of that, the license conditions might vary. What must be measured is determined by the site emission license, and the license is actually vary considerably. So the size of the process, the history of the plant, the nature of the emissions, and its proximity to communities all impact license conditions, which in turn affect the SEMS. So it really means that each system is different, and therefore... Everything needs to be engineered and customised to each particular plant condition, including the licence. So, clearly a, a misconception there. So, now changing on to another topic, you know, there is another misconception out there that SEMS don't actually need any backup power, such as a UPS. Yeah, how do you see that? Well, ultimately it's the customer's decision, of course, uh, but I think it should be kept in mind that EPA license conditions generally have a requirement for availability of the SEMS. So if there's a high level of availability required, that may affect the decision about whether to use a UPS, simply to avoid failing to meet the license condition. There is, however, something else that should be considered, which is often not very well understood, and that's the ramifications of uncontrolled power outages to the SEMS equipment. For some equipment, for some systems, there will be no impact. The system could shut down, be offline for a while, self-recover and require little or no intervention. Though for other systems, an uncontrolled shutdown can be a complete disaster. Would you like me to perhaps detail some examples on that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so uncontrolled power, I mean, what is the impact of not having a UPS? Well, let's say that we've got a simple SEMS that's not measuring any sulfurs, maybe it's using cold extraction from a clean burning process. An example of that could be, say, an open cycle gas turbine running on natural gas. 
So in that type of situation, if the system goes cold, it probably won't hurt the analyzer because we've got all the moisture out of the sample well in advance of the analyzer. And when the system stops flowing because the pump's gone down, the dry gas will just stop in the analyzer. So no problems for that one. That should have a fairly happy outcome. The power comes back on. It'll probably recover without any anything else, um, maybe just a validation check. On the other hand, if you've got a process that's a little bit more difficult, maybe one of those ones that we talked about earlier where you've got something with a bit of sulfur, a bit of particulates, so you've got a hot, wet, dirty sample uh, or in-situ analyzer that needs to be kept hot and dry, in those situations, an uncontrolled uh, outage of power can lead to the formation of sludge and corrosives in the system. That equates to pretty dire outcomes. So again, it's a question of looking at what the process is and then working out what the consequences are. Keeping in mind uh, that original statement that license conditions may in fact prove to be the overriding factor if a very high availability should also be required. So it sounds like the people that uh, need to work on SEMS must have experience in, in how to design and install the equipment so that all these different hiccups are going to be prevented. I mean, people tend to forget some of the items of the system sometimes. Well, yeah, there's a lot of variables. But if the variable is considered and adequately managed, uh, then the outcomes can still be good. Uh, What it's ultimately all about, and here I'm only talking about continuous emission monitoring systems that are required as a result of some kind of statutory authority licensing, what it's all about is producing an adequate level of reporting then the public, or at least the statutory authority, can be confident that the plant's operating within its licence limits. So at the end of the day, it's all about getting the data. Now that's really pertinent that you uh, you mentioned data, because it, it leads into another misconception out there that we, we hear, which is about the data acquisition system in SMS, and that is typically standalone, which is completely separate from the plant DCS or the plant PLCs. Is it true that this is a mandate, and and what can you tell us about that? Ah, Well, this is actually quite a messy area. Uh, An independent system may be required, or it may not. As we said before, site licences are not all the same. But there we were talking about site licences in terms of the size and history of the process and its proximity to communities. There's an additional facet to this, which is that there is no nationally applicable universal standard for SEMS in Australia. Each state and territory actually has its own requirements. While they all generally follow the requirements of the US EPA legislation, the implementation from state to state is different. So you've got variables within the state across sites, and then you've got variables from state to state. So that one has to be handled on a case-by-case basis, although I've certainly been involved in SEMS where the DCS has certainly been used as the reporting platform. So why do you think that is, Mike? I mean, why do you think that each state has its own set of rules and regulations? And why hasn't there been consensus in Australia? I mean, we're one country at the end of the day. I mean, what do you think of that? Well, Sean, you've only got to look at the debacle that's going on between the states and the federal government over managing COVID to understand that it wouldn't be too hard for them to go in different directions. There is a general consensus, a broad consensus across the country that we're all going to abide by things that have their foundations in the US EPA. But when it comes to the detail, they tend to go in their own directions. Okay, fair point. And now that brings me to yet another question, a myth um, that is in, in Australia that we must comply with European requirements for SEMS. 
what would you say to somebody who thinks that the MSERTs is a requirement here? Ah, well, thus far, I've given you a lot of quite extensive answers with a lot of variables. But this one, this one's an easy one with a nice, straight answer. MSERTs being required in Australia? It's a complete myth. There's never been any state or federal requirement to comply with MSERTs in any state or territory of Australia. Plain and simple. You know, no, no requirement there, so we don't need to comply with MSERTs. But it is true that SEMS must comply with approval message for emissions monitoring. I'm guessing coming from your comment about the US EPA standards. Ah, now, Sean, this one's a little bit more meaty. Thank you for the question. There are in the US EPA documentation a set of documents called Approved Methods for Emission Monitoring. And those approved methods are referenced in various statutory authority guidelines, uh, such as, for example, in New South Wales. Also, WA refers to the approved methods for emission monitoring in their SEMS code. However, the approved methods are actually rules for RATA testing, and that covers items such as duct traverse testing and laboratory methodologies to apply when assessing manually taken samples for emission spot checks. RATA is an acronym for Relative Accuracy Test Audit. And what it does is it cross-checks some manually taken spot samples against what the continuous emission monitoring system is measuring to determine that there isn't an unacceptable variance. So those manually taken samples, which are typically being done by a company that's independent of the SEM supplier and also independent of the site license owner, they are for doing a RATA and in accordance with those approved methods. The SEMS itself is not required to comply with the approved methods. The SEMS has to comply with what are called SEMS protocols, or sometimes referred to as SEMS methods or performance methods. They're described in different documents than the approved methods. Thanks for that, Mike. Now, look, unfortunately, we've actually run out of time today, but I think we've seen you've actually smashed a number of the misconceptions and the myths around SEMS out of the, out of the court today. But it's also become very, very clear that there's a lot more to this topic than we can address in one episode. So I'd love to invite you back for a continuation of our discussions, Mike. Well, I'd like to say thanks very much for that, Sean. Um, I do hope that uh, people will get some value. I know that there is a lot of detail that we've, um, we've input into this morning's session. Uh, however, I think it's probably uh, worthwhile to come back and continue with um, with some of the further discussion points. Thanks, Mike. And, and look, thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us once again. Now, if you've got any questions or particular topics you'd like us to discuss, please contact us on debunks at au.yokogawa.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to like and share on your social media channels. We look forward to welcoming you back for future discussions. But in the meantime, stay safe and remember, Yokogawa debunks. <laughs>